Amen. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. I told you last week that we're going to be going away tonight for one, just for one night, and then Friday morning for one Friday morning from the Gospel of John to Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to be zeroing in tonight on verses 28 and 29, but make sure that you keep the context of verses 24 to 29 in mind. And I'm sure by now you've heard of the transition that's going to be taking place where Pastor PJ and his family and Pastor Rod and his family are going to be going out to northernmost Texas to plant a church over there. That's an exciting thing, isn't it? Yeah. I know that. Yeah, amen. I know that it's, uh, uh, it's difficult every time that there's a church plant because relationships are so interconnected here at Compass, and so that's very challenging. But I just want, you, want to encourage you that it's a, such an exciting thing to see a church, a mother church like Compass AV is, that is very much committed to continuing to see the Great Commission through the planting of local churches happen. And so that's very exciting. That's going to be a huge transition in a year to a year and a half. And so we're excited. Make sure that you're praying about that and praying for the, the core group to be formed and all of that. It's a great time of transition. And of course, you know that we recently have had a transition even here in the men's ministry uh, to some changes here. And, you know, I've been thinking a lot about transitions and transitions really are an interesting thing. They're difficult. Um, they're also exciting, right, in some ways. But they are a perfect time. Transitions are a perfect time for us to really recalibrate and refocus and to be reminded of what we want to continue to be about as a church and, in particular for us, as a men's ministry. Transitions really allow us a time to recalibrate and, and refocus. And I'm so grateful to come into this ship, so to speak, of Compass, and in particular the men's ministry, and be a part of a, of a men's ministry that for years has been going in the right direction, and will continue to go in the right direction. I want us to continue to do that. And so um, I think transitions, though, allow us an opportunity to step back and say, you know what, we don't want to just go through the motions. We don't want to just be a men's ministry where we forget about our target as a men's ministry. What's the old saying that if you aim at nothing, what? You will hit it every time, right? And especially as, as men, we're already busy enough as it is. Amen? We wear a lot of hats in life. And so men, dudes in particular, need to be reminded of why certain activities, even with regards to men's ministry, are, are important. Why these times are worth our time. I'm a, why, I'm a why person. I want to know the, the why and the reason behind um, activities that I am engaged in. I don't want to just go through the motions, and I know that you are the same way. And so this is really important for us to talk about these things that we're going to be discussing tonight from this particular passage. I think it's helpful for us to be reminded of what we're aiming at in our men's ministry all the more. And in short, it is to have a culture that we continue to foster of life-on-life -life discipleship. We want to continue to foster a culture of life-on-life -life discipleship. And this particular passage, Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 to 29, is such a key text. Really what you have in Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 29, is, is Paul's philosophy of, of ministry. His philosophy of ministry, and in one sense... This is his philosophy of ministry is very unique to Paul. He was an apostle to the Gentiles and an apostle at that. We don't have present-day apostles anymore. 
And we certainly don't have an apostle like the apostle Paul, who is specifically an apostle to the Gentiles, right? So in one sense, verses 24 to 29 are unique to the apostle Paul, but in a different sense, the principles that he outlines here, in particular verses 28 and 29, are very pertinent for us, even as we think about men's ministry. So that, Lord willing, we continue to glean from this and move cohesively forward as a men's ministry, knowing what it is that we are aiming to do, okay? So from these particular verses, verses 28 to 29, I want to read these verses, and then I want us to extract here four priorities of faithful life-on-life discipleship ministry in the local church, okay? So let me read verses 28 and 29. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, says Paul, verse 29, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within us. If you're taking notes, we're going to look at four priorities here of faithful discipleship ministry in the local church that we need to continue to aim for as we flesh out men's ministry here individually and even in our, in our subgroups, uh, in our small groups, and collectively as a men's ministry, as part of the larger whole Compass Bible Church. So if you're taking notes, write this down. In faithful ministry, we need to stay focused on Christ. We need to focus on Christ. Now, you may think that that's a given, but not everyone is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ about making, and making much of Him, right, in ministry. So faithful ministry is focused on Jesus. Look at verse 28. He says, him, Christ, we proclaim. Literally, whom we proclaim, he says. And the him there represents Jesus Christ. If you notice at the end of verse 27, Paul tells us that the, that the centerpiece of the mystery that he preaches as an apostle is Christ in you, end of verse 27, the hope of glory. This Christ, the hope of glory, is the, is the Christ we proclaim, says the Apostle Paul. The focus of our ministry and the, the content of our preaching and our proclamation is the Lord Jesus Christ. But the question that we should ask ourselves is this, why? What is it that makes Jesus, as opposed to anyone else, so unique that he is to be at the center of our proclamation and of our focus? What makes Jesus so incomparable? That we should make him the center of, of everything in our life and ministry and in our service and in our hearts. What is so unique about Jesus? Well, back in verses 15 through 20, Paul has told us many things about Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. Notice, notice that who is he with relation to God? Verse 15 of chapter 1, he, Jesus, is the image, literally the icon of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. And that firstborn there doesn't mean first one created. This is, that word firstborn is the word prototokos, the preeminent one, he says. He is the image of the invisible God, the icon of the invisible God, the firstborn, the prototokos of all, of, of all creation, the preeminent one. In other words, Jesus shares the same being, essence, and nature, and divine attributes of God. He's not a created being or simply the greatest of all created beings. He is the preeminent one. He is the firstborn. Notice also with relation to creation that Christ is supreme. Verse 16, for by him 
all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. In other words, all creation depends upon Christ, for by or in him, all things were created. They were made through Christ and for Christ. That makes him very different than a peripheral figure, right? Then verse 17 and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In other words, Christ is eternal as God the Father is eternal. And Christ is the sustainer of all creation. Why? Precisely because he is God as the Father is God. So that's with relation to creation, with relation to, to the church. Look at verse 18. And he is the head which is the word kephale, which means ruler, supreme ruler. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He says he's the, the supreme and sovereign ruler and king of his church by virtue of his glorious resurrection. Since he is the firstborn from the dead, Paul says. Then verses 19 and 20, for in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What is Paul saying? In other words, Christ is the one through whom the Father will reconcile all things. Christ lived and died and rose from the dead in order that he might rescue us from God's wrath. And one day, um, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And we who have trusted in Christ will be there with him. Amen? This is Christ with relation to the church. He is the, the supreme ruler and sovereign ruler of his church. And so, brothers, the point of verses 15 through 20 is this. There is no one like Jesus. He is the incomparable one. He is the unrivaled one as far as glory goes and majesty. And it's because of who he is and what Jesus has done that Paul reminds us here that Christ is the focal point of all ministry and the centerpiece of our proclamation. This is why in chapter 1, verse 18, if you notice, we're told that Christ is to be preeminent. That is to say, he is to be number one. That's a statement of fact that Jesus is number one, he's preeminent, but that's also to be true in our experience, in the way that we live, in our hearts and ministry. Jesus is to be set apart as number one, as the preeminent one. We proclaim Christ. Listen, we proclaim Christ because without Jesus, there is no Christian ministry. We proclaim Christ because without Jesus, there's no forgiveness of sins. There is no peace or reconciliation with God. There is no deliverance from our brokenness and our alienation and our lostness and helplessness without Jesus Christ. Without Jesus Christ, we are dead in our sins. Why? Because only Jesus, the God-man, is perfect, the perfect blameless one who could go to the cross and atone for sins. No one else could do that. And so without Jesus, the perfect God-man, there is no atonement for our sins. There is no salvation. Without Jesus, God's wrath is upon each and every one of us. We are destined for eternal damnation away from the presence of God forever and ever and ever and ever without Jesus. Without Christ... The trials that we've experienced this past year, brothers, are for nothing. These past years, especially with COVID and all around that whole issue. Without Jesus, all of those things are, are hopeless. 
Without Jesus, all of your struggles as an individual with your own personal sin or besetting sins is absolutely hopeless. Without Jesus, your marriage struggles and difficulties are hopeless. Without Jesus, your parenting struggles are hopeless. Without Christ, all the devastation, all of the wickedness, all of the godlessness that we see in our country and all over the world right now as we hear rumors of war happening is reason to despair because there is no conquering Christ who is going to return, deliver the final death blow, and establish in the future a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells and there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more evil, no more hatred. Without Christ... There is no hope. In the words of 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, if there is no resurrection of Jesus, we are all of all men most to be pitied, laughed at. We are fools in the eyes of the world without Jesus. This is why we proclaim Christ. This is why Paul says that in chapter 1, verse 28. Why he is our central proclamation. He is everything to us. Christ is not just a label. We tack on to our Christianity. He is not just some key that gets us in the door. No, Christ is our very life. That's why in, in Colossians 3, 4, notice how he puts it. When Christ who is our life is revealed, he says. Colossians 3, 4, when Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Well, he's our life. Christ is everything. That's why we proclaim Jesus. He's the focal point of everything that we do in life and ministry and in our hearts. And then my life verse, I love this verse, and I want to live it out by the grace of God. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's all about Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5.15 says that Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for ourselves, but for him, for Christ, who for our sake died and was raised. Wow. Jesus is everything, isn't he? This is why our central proclamation and focus is Jesus. Listen to me. Our message is not man-made methods, self-help manuals, Secular philosophies or psychology, innovative methods, meditation techniques, emotional tactics to get people all worked up into a frenzy. Our central message is a person, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our focal point. We proclaim him, the Christ who is intimately involved with us, who have trusted in him, the Christ in you, the hope of glory at the end of verse 27. He is the focal point, brothers, of our men's ministry. It's about Jesus. It's about making much of Christ in everything that we do. Amen? Now watch this. Watch this. This proclamation of Christ and this focus upon Jesus then finds visible and practical expression in real people and real relationships in the church. I want us to see this. I want us to see this. And so faithful ministry is not only focused on Christ, but write this down. It must also be discipleship-oriented ministry. It's discipleship-oriented ministry. Look at verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. 
What we want to see here is that faithful, Christ-focused ministry finds expression in people being invested into one another in a life-on-life kind of way. And as we examine the second point, I want you to notice that true discipleship-oriented ministry involves three crucial commitments on our part. Three crucial commitments, sort of as sub-points under this main point, okay? Commitment number one, if you're taking notes. Discipleship-oriented ministry is word-saturated. It's word-saturated. This is something that you know. But where do we see this in this verse? Well, from the two loaded words in verse 28, if you notice, warning and teaching. Warning and teaching. We have a speaking ministry in the lives of one another. Those two words, warning and teaching, modify the main verb there, proclaim. They tell us what this proclamation looks like in discipleship-oriented ministry. Warning and teaching, right? Now, Paul here, with those words, is not primarily talking about evangelism here, though we certainly proclaim Christ to non-believers. What he's talking about primarily, though, here is edificational discipleship ministry in the church and what it looks like, this warning and teaching ministry. That first word in verse 28, warning, is a word that you're familiar with. It's the word nutheteo, right? Nutheteo, which means to, to put or place in the mind. And it's got this primarily a corrective connotation. It's the idea of, of warning or cautioning a wandering Christian who has strayed from the path that honors the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the kind of ministry we have amongst one another, even as men. For example, in 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul says that believers are to admonish the idle or the unruly. That's the word nutheteo. Admonish the idle or the unruly. Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with all men. And in Acts 20, 31, you know the text when Paul was bidding farewell to the Ephesian elders, Paul reminds them that while he was amongst them, he did not cease to admonish nutheteo, each one with tears. That's the warning ministry that we have with one another. And then the second word there in verse 28 of Colossians 1 has more of a positive connotation, this word teaching from didasco, which means to teach or to instruct. It's the, this formal or informal, in the context of relationships, the formal or informal impartation of truth or of Christian doctrine. In some context, it refers to the authoritative speaking of the word of God, centered on the proclamation of the gospel. So there's a, a negative word there, right? Of, it's it's a, with an emphasis on the corrective side of things. And then there's a positive instructing kind of word And these are words that we are to be fleshing out in the context of life-on-life relationships with one another. Now listen, these speaking words have as their source the Word of God. The Word of God. We are to, to be warning and teaching one another primarily from God's Word. Not from our own personal opinions or pontifications about every little thing under the sun, right? Our exhortation and warning should be centered on the word of God. It should be word saturated. Furthermore, when, whenever we read verses like these and we think warning and teaching, uh, some of us maybe might immediately think that these words apply only to pastors, to elders, to leaders in the church, to, to train biblical counselors in the church. They're the ones that are to be warning. They're the ones that are to be teaching. Not so. Not so. These are to be done by everyone in the church. And I want you to see this. Look at Colossians 3 and verse 16. Colossians 3 and verse 16. Here in addressing all believers, Paul uses both words 
that he just used back in verse 28. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And here it is, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So listen, not only should elders and pastors admonish and teach, but we should be doing this with one another. We are to be pouring uh, our lives and the word of Christ into one another in the context of uh, a biblical life-on-life relationships. With gentleness and grace, we are to do that, of course. And then in Romans chapter 15 and verse 14, Romans 15, 14, Paul writing to Roman believers says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves, plural, you believers, are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct, nutheteo, instruct one another. What's the point? That this is not just for pastors and teachers. This is not just for trained biblical counselors in the church. This is the the kind of speaking ministry centered on the word that we ought to have with one another in the context of the local church, right? We are to be truth speakers to one another. Ephesians 4.15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, even Christ or into Christ. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is what? Truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Discipleship-oriented ministry, brothers, is word-saturated ministry. Without the word of Christ, there is no growth. And this is why, as you notice, Compass Bible Church, and I'm so thankful for this body, for years, everything is centered on the word of God here at Compass. Amen? That's why you love this church. That's why you love this church, because in the main pulpit, you know what you're going to get from Pastor Mike, right? He's going to preach the unadulterated word, unabashedly, boldly he's going to preach it. Men's and women's ministry is going to be centered on the word, right? Children's ministry, counseling focused on the word, because we believe the word of God is sufficient, that it is enough for salvation and sanctification, the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Everything is centered on the word. Youth and college ministries, small groups, home discipleship groups. In every single one of these contexts, the word of Christ is is emphasized because we believe that the truth of God's word centered on the gospel is the primary means by which Christians grow and coupled, you would throw in their prayer, right? Prayer, the word and prayer. And so the primary tool of discipleship is the Word of God. Discipleship-oriented ministry is Word-saturated. That's commitment number one. If we are to foster a discipleship culture all the more, but write this down, commitment number two. Discipleship-oriented ministry is comprehensive in scope. It's comprehensive in scope. What do you mean by this, Pastor Kempis? By this, I mean that, that everyone is to be actively and mutually engaged in discipleship. Look at verse 28 with me. Him we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You think Paul was trying to emphasize a particular word there? What word is that? Everyone. Everyone, everyone, everyone. Three times Paul says everyone. Why does he do that? Why is repetition good, exegetes? Why does repetition appear in the biblical text for emphasis, right? For emphasis. He wants to make the point that the, this process that we call discipleship involves everyone. No one is ex- exempt. 
No one is to be excluded or left out. Every single man in this church who says that they are a follower of Jesus is to be in this active, ongoing process of discipleship. Discipleship, a discipleship-oriented culture, a discipleship-oriented men's ministry includes every, every man, seeks every man out. And what this means for us, listen to me, is that assimilation of every man in our church is to be of highest priority to every single one of us individually and collectively if you are a follower of Christ. That no man is to be left behind. Now this cuts two ways. On the one hand, this means that we all need to take ownership of, of other men in this ministry and in this church. That we need to take ownership of, of one another. That we need to be go-getters. That we need to be the type of men who are looking for those men who are straddling behind and rope them into our men's ministry, rope them into our small groups. That we shouldn't be content with 30, 40% of the men of our church showing up to men's Bible studies. That we shouldn't be content with only a certain small percentage of men involved in men's uh, uh, small groups within our men's ministry. We shouldn't be content with that. We shouldn't be, have this us for no more mentality, whether actively or passively, by virtue of not taking a proactive approach in pursuing other brothers. So that, that's significant, isn't it? We need to be go-getters. On the other hand, there's also the personal responsibility side to this. Because this means that each one of us is to take ownership of ourselves. And what do I mean by that? That each of us as men must proactively position ourselves also in the process of discipleship. In other words, that if you are a Christian tonight, you are to open yourself up to be invested into. What does that mean? Just showing up? Well, certainly showing up is part of it, right? What have they said? 50% of ministry is just showing up, being here. But that's not where it stops. That's not where it stops. It carries on to the rest of the week where you are staying engaged with other men and opening your life up for other men to invest into you. It's huge, this assimilation process. We are a band of brothers. Did you hear me? We are a band of brothers. We are an army of Christian men. And men, in case you haven't noticed, we are in a spiritual war. This is spiritual warfare that we're in the midst of here. It's always been the case in the history of mankind, right? But especially right now, there is so much opposition, so much hostility against biblical Christianity, against Jesus and the gospel, against truth, what is real. We are in a spiritual war. And the more that we come to grips with the spiritual war, the nature of the battle that we face, the more that we'll have a greater sense of urgency to be highly committed participants rather than passive spectators. And we need to have a heart for one another that, that other men might see this. This is serious. Souls are at stake. Do you realize that? Your soul is at stake in the sense of sanctification. Ongoing sanctification. And the souls of men are at stake who have not trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't think for a minute that the man that you haven't seen in a while at men's Bible study or maybe even in the church is not in spiritual danger. Don't lie to yourself and think that. That somehow they are okay living in isolation and not involved. 
And don't think for a minute that if you are a so-called lone ranger, that you are okay. You are not okay. You are the proverbial lone zebra in the lion's den. An accident waiting to happen, right? What did John Owen say? Sin grows in isolation, right? Sin grows in isolation. We lie to ourselves as men thinking that, you know what, I can handle this. I can do this. I can be autonomous. I, can, I don't need anybody else. It's me and God. No, it isn't. That is not the cry of the believer. It is first and foremost vertically us with God through Jesus Christ. But he has called us into a, into a community not to live in isolation. We need to have a heart for other men. Other men in this church who are not involved, brothers. Discipleship-oriented ministry is word-saturated. It's comprehensive in scope. No man is to be left behind or lag behind in this. Commitment number three, write this down. Discipleship-oriented ministry is highly relational. Highly relational. Paul has already used the word, if you noticed, in verse 28, everyone three different times. And that word everyone means people, right? We're talking about real people there. Now watch this. In verse 28, Paul uses this little qualifying prepositional phrase, with or in all wisdom. You see that in verse 28? With or in all wisdom. In other words, the manner of our speaking the truth to one another is to be done with or in all wisdom. Now many look at that little prepositional phrase and simply define this as, as you know what Paul is talking about is that as you minister to one another, you need to know the word of God. Amen? Preach it? Yes? We've established that, 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 that the word of Christ is, is absolutely essential in terms of the ongoing process of discipleship in the lives of believers. We've established that, that we need to know the word. But here's another thing that is absolutely essential as well. If you are to, with wisdom, in all wisdom, warn and teach one another. And it is this, you need to not only know the word, you need to know people. You need to study people. You need to know other brothers. Ministry is people, and people are ministry. What has somebody joked uh, about? That, that ministry would be, would be easy if it weren't for what? For people, right? Ministry is people. And so because ministry are people, you and I need to strive to take a personable, relational approach in our ministry to other men. Hear me, brothers. We need to be people people. We need to be people people. People who are so much about people. So much about getting to know others. And to actually take special interest in getting to know one another. And we're not good at this as men, are we? I know I'm not. It doesn't come natural to me to be a pursuer that way. It doesn't come natural. But we need to take a per personal interest in, in one another. I mean, suppose for a minute that you go visit a doctor, okay? And during your, your visit, the so-called doctor never greets you, never says hi to you, sits you down, never gives you eye contact, doesn't ask you any questions about your condition, doesn't display any sense of care or concern about you. And then after a couple of minutes of this nonsense... 
He writes you a prescription and sends you on your way. What kind of a doctor is that? I mean, let me ask you, what would you walk away thinking about this so-called doctor? What would you think about that guy? What a wishy-washy, twinky doctor, right? Seriously, I don't want to have that guy as a doctor. What kind of a doctor is that? I'm done with that guy. And yet, here's my point. This is how many of us oftentimes approach other people, including other men within our men's ministry. We don't take the initiative to get to know one another on a very personable basis. We love and we practice fast food relationships, don't we? Fast food relationships. We're always in a hurry. I want things quick and easy in this particular interaction with this particular person. I don't have time. I'm too busy. I'm way too preoccupied with too much in my life to even be thinking about asking questions about this other man. We love just this approach of fast food relationships. Some of us in here are very good at pursuing relationships. Some of us are not. Some of us are just flat out not. And so we need to know the word, and that's where it starts. But we need to get to know one another, to take the time to know one another. If we're going to apply ourselves to warning and teaching one another, uh, brothers, in all wisdom, then we need to understand somebody else and their hearts if we're going to really be able to know what, what is at the, at the core of that man's issue. But we're so quick because we, we don't pursue each other relationally to give each other just pat answers, right? And oftentimes what, what we do is we misdiagnose one another. Why? Because we haven't taken the time to or made the effort to get to know one another on a personal basis, to pursue a relationship with one another. Listen, people are complicated. Have you noticed that? <laughs> yes or no? I mean, am I the only one? I'm complicated. People are messy and complicated. People also are not machines. We are not machines. We are not robots. You know, just, just push a couple of button, buttons, program that person, and send them on their way, right? That's often the way that we approach one another. There's a lack of relational approach to one another. So we as men especially need to work on this issue of being people, people. Listen, I'm not saying everyone's approach will be the same at all. I know that we're all wired different. We're all going to express this relational approach different depending on the way that the Lord has wired us. Absolutely. I'm also not saying that in order for you to say anything to another man, you have to have a strong relationship with them or you can never say anything unless you've developed a long time relationship with them. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that, is that like our, our relational triune God, we have also been created in, in His image to be highly relational beings. And faithful ministry means that we take a highly relational approach, brothers, to one another. So mark it. In biblical discipleship, our twofold commitments to the Word and to people come together by means of biblical life-on-life -life relationships, right? Our twofold commitments of the word and people come together by means of biblical life-on-life -life relationships. And the norm for us should be to actively pursue one another relationally so that we might skillfully and wisely apply the word to one another with or in all wisdom. Think about that. 
Again, this is something we all need to work on, brothers, to one extent or another, some of us more than others. And I want you to do me a favor. Don't, don't justify yourself. Don't justify yourself if you're sitting here listening to this. Well, you know, Pastor Kempis, you know, I'm an introvert. I'm an introvert. I can't help it. Really? You want to know something? I'm an introvert. What in the world am I doing here right now? Seriously. The Lord sure has a, a, a humorous personality, doesn't he? What am I doing here? I'll tell you what. It's the grace of God. The grace of God is more powerful than your personality or your wiring, if you want to put it that way. If he has called us to practice life on life discipleship, well, however you express that as a man, then he will give you the grace and the power to do it. Amen? So don't use that excuse. I'm an introvert. You know, my personality is such a nature that, you know, I'm just, that's just not how I'm wired. Brothers, come on. Well, pastor, I, you know, I've been hurt. I've been really burned in the past in relationships. Really? I hear you. So have we. Amen? Many of us, most of us, all of us have. So have I, more than you will ever know. God's grace is more powerful than that. You are not justified in your avoidance of relational discipleship and opening your life up to other men to invest into you and you investing yourself into other men because you've been hurt in the past. That might explain why you have natural, some propensities towards isolation and all of that, but it doesn't justify your actions. And again, you are the lone zebra in the lion's den if you are running to isolation because you've been hurt or you've been burned in the past. That doesn't justify it for you to live in disobedience in this area. Well, I'm good, Pastor. I, you know, I don't need anyone else. It's, it's all me and God. It's all me and God. Listen, God has called you not to isolation. You will never, ever, ever grow as God intended for you to grow if you always, always, always run to isolation and individualism. That might be very much the American mindset, individualism. It's not the Christian mindset. We have been called through Jesus Christ, into a community of believers. We need one another, right? You need the men around you. You need your brothers. You need Christ first, and you need your brothers to encourage you and for you to encourage them as well. This highly relational culture means a number of things, okay? It means we'll reach out and be in touch with one another outside of our, just our formal meeting times. We've begun to talk about this, some of us who have met, about the, my, my heart's desire is that all the more, even as a men's ministry, as, as you guys meet formally on Tuesday nights or the other group on Friday mornings, that you would take, take relationship and, and fellowship with one another outside of those formal meeting times. And of course, it's incumbent upon you who are the men's Bible study small group leaders to, to um, provide those opportunities for men to hang out with one another, for you guys to take it beyond the formal meeting times. You know, it means that we'll make the time to have other men over, to maybe have men over our, our home, right? Cook some tri-tip and, and invite Pastor Kempis, you know? I mean, other men, other men, other men first, okay? Cook up some burgers and hot dogs and invite men over with their families. Some of you have, have done that and, and, and praise the Lord for you. Excel still more, brothers. But others of us, not so much. It's all about the formal meeting times on Tuesday night, Friday morning. We come Sunday morning, and then the rest of the week, there's no interaction. There's no life-on-life -life discipleship happening. 
There's no accountability. There's no sweetness of, you know, texting one another and asking how we could be praying for one another. In a discipleship-oriented culture, these things need to grow all the more. Amen? It may mean we help one another with house projects. We do errands together just to provide opportunities to work together and get to know one another. All of these are implications of fostering a, a biblical relational atmosphere amongst one another as men, as a band of brothers. This will take time, effort, and sacrifice, but it, it is absolutely worth it, brothers. Absolutely worth it. We got to speed up a little bit here. Faithful ministry is focused on Christ must be discipleship-oriented. Third, if we're going to be faithful, we must remember the goal. Remember the goal. Look at verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom toward what end or goal, Paul, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Mature, teleos, perfect or complete in Christ. Boy, that's a lifelong goal, isn't it? Lifelong goal. We won't be perfected on this earth, so this is going to be a lifelong process of us becoming progressively more and more like Jesus. But this is, this is our goal. This is our goal. That other men would become like Christ and that we would become like, like Jesus. This should be your, your ultimate goal in your relationships with one another. The end goal should not be that we are happy, though certainly that's a good thing as defined by God, right? That's not the goal, the end goal, that we would just be happy the end goal should not be that the other men like you, though certainly it's, it's good to be liked. What is the end goal? That God uses you in the life of your brother to conform your brother more and more like Jesus, to move them more and more towards Jesus. And you know what that means? That sometimes as we interact with one another in life on life uh, discipleship, we will need to tell the other brother what they need to hear, not what they want to hear. We will need to say the hard things, not thinking about ourselves and how we're treated and how we might be rejected in that moment. But if our goal is that they would become like Jesus, then they need to hear the truth and we need to do it in grace and gentleness and love, but we need to say the truth. Sometimes this may mean that we need to remind one another that true happiness is not found in, in possessions, in prosperity, in prestige, in popularity, but in becoming more and more like Jesus. It's going to mean this. A mentor pastor once said to me, Kempis, true love is always most concerned with the purity of its object. I love that. True love is always most concerned with the purity of its object. What does that mean? That if you truly love someone, if you truly care about someone, then you will want that person's purity and holiness and Christ-likeness more than anything else. That's going to be the most important thing for you. That if you truly love your brother, then ultimately what you want more than anything else is to see your brother become more and more like Jesus, to become more and more like their master. I love the heart of Paul in Galatians 4.19. Or he says, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, he says, until Christ is formed in you. Boy, that's good stuff. Until Christ is formed in you. Paul says, my heart, my greatest longing is to see Christ formed in you, that you would become more and more like Christ. So he says the hard things to the Galatian believers with that goal, that they would become like Jesus. Is this your heart as you minister to other men, brothers? That they would become more and more like Christ, 
Is this your heart? Well, if you're hearing all of this, and if you're like me, you're thinking, boy, you really, you really laid a lot out here, Pastor Kempis. How in the world am I going to be fully committed to this? Where is the power going to come from? Where is the energy going to come from? Well, you know the answer, right? What's the answer? It's going to come from Him, right? So if we're going to do faithful ministry, fourthly, we must be God-dependent. We must be God-dependent in discipleship-oriented ministry. Notice verse 29. For this, he says, for this, to present everyone complete in Christ, for this purpose I toil, toil to, to work or labor to the point of exhaustion is the idea there. Toil, to labor to the point of exhaustion. And then he says, struggling, struggling, agonizomai. I agonize for this purpose with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I love that. Paul says, this faithful discipleship-oriented ministry is, is hard work. It's no cakewalk. It's labor to the point of exhaustion. It's agonizing type of work. If we're really going to be about the goal of seeing people become more and more like Jesus, he says, but here's the amazing thing about it all, that God not only has high expectations for us in discipleship ministry, he provides the energy to accomplish it all and the resources. Amen? All of it. It's according to his energy and his strength that he powerfully works within us to accomplish this. So, if you're tired tonight, right? A bit overwhelmed with all you got going on and all the, all the hats that you're wearing. If you're perhaps a, a bit discouraged, you see no reciprocation from other men or other people in the church to the ministry that you're doing. If that's where you're at tonight, take heart, man of God. Take heart. God's grace is sufficient for his power is perfected in our weakness. Amen? His power is perfected in our weakness. Jesus said in John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. In Ephesians 6, 10, be strong in the Lord, says Paul. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. The strength for ministry and discipleship in the church, brothers, comes from the Lord. So we need to walk in dependence upon him. So as a men's ministry, we minister with our focus on Christ. Our orientation is toward fostering life-on-life -life discipleship. Our goal is Christ-likeness in each and every man, thus the assimilation of other men into this ministry. And our strength comes from God, who by His Spirit is able, more than able, to provide us with the grace and the power that we need to be faithful individually and collectively as a band of brothers. Amen? This is what we want to continue to be about. This is what Compass Men's Ministry is all about. I've already witnessed it myself. Excel still more. Let us continue all the more to exalt Jesus, to make much of him, and to look to assimilate other brothers into this ongoing process of sanctification and discipleship, brothers. Let's pray. Gracious Father, oh Lord, what a humbling thing it is that, Lord, you could have done all of this yourself. You don't need us. You are sufficient. You are enough in yourself. You could have accomplished all of this ministry yourself. And yet, how gracious of you, how kind of you to invite us into this work that, Lord, we might invest into one another and be invested into. Father, how beautiful it is, your bo the body of Christ, 
Father, help us to be faithful. Lord, we want to be all the more a men's ministry who desires to exalt Jesus, who desires to be people people, and to be reaching out to one another, genuinely, transparently, centered on the word. Father, seeking every single man to be involved in this process of discipleship. Father, doing everything by the strength that you supply with the goal of seeing Christ formed in each and every one of us. Lord, help us to be faithful in this. I pray for fruitful discussions even in our small groups right now, that we might all the more even think of practical ways that we might.